Well, good morning and welcome again to Christmas here at True North Church. My name's Phil. I'm one of the pastors here and uh, it's great to, to, it really is a privilege to come and share from God's Word this morning as we, we step into this idea of the thrill of hope, remembering what Christmas is all about. You know, who's, who's put that Christmas tree up already? I, I see a lot of hands just like, vroom, and then a couple of begrudging it. Yeah, we did that. We, we got it up. It's done. <laughs> yeah, I've got, a, I've got a little nine-month-year-old child, and he's kind of in the season of life where he has the power to destroy, but not quite the power to create. And, and so as we were putting out the Christmas tree, kind of any of the low-lying tinsel or baubles or, you know, those really nice golden beaded kind of things that, I don't know what those are called, bead strings. And anyway, we, we had them at the bottom and he could kind of, he's, he's kind of power crawling now. It's so funny. It's kind of like a butterfly stroke and he just like occasionally smacks his face on the floor. But, but he could kind of pull everything down from the bottom of the tree. But, but as, as we were doing that, I, I kind of sat at one moment with him kind of at my feet and Tash doing some different things. And I just kind of took a mental picture and I was like, this right here is a joyful moment. This right here is a moment that just captures so much of what we all love about Christmas. And really what I think I was tapping into as I just reflected in that space was, was there was a sense of hope just in my heart. It was like, you know what? No matter what this year's been like, no matter what the challenge has been like, right now in this moment, I just feel hopeful. <laughs> There's just something about this experience that's like life is just so good. This is exactly a picture of what everything is good about in life. And that's the hope, that, the, and that's the reason we get filled with this sense of joy and maybe a little bit of wonder as we turn the corner into the auditorium and we see, we, we see this, this wonderful stage and everything that triggers those things that we love about Christmas. But when we talk about the thrill of hope, I, I want to go a little bit deeper with the way that we use this word because, because that kind of stuff, those emotions around Christmas, that's just kind of like the icing on, on the cake. But really when we talk about the power of hope, we're talking about one of the most powerful emotions, feelings or beliefs that we'll experience in our lives. You know, hope is an inward sense that empowers us to meet any challenge, that brings strength when we're weak and brings personal perseverance at the breaking point. Hope literally can be the difference between life and death. That is the power of hope. You know, some of you would know the, the story of, of Louis Zamperini, who was an Olympic athlete in the 90, 1936 Games, who, who eventually found himself as part of the, the U.S. Air Force during the events of World War II. And after one particular mission there, their plane experienced mechanical failure and they crashed into the ocean. And, and all of the crew, they, they died in the crash except for three guys, Zamperini being one of them. And they survived in a life raft for 47 days at sea. 47 days. So, some of you may have, uh, if, you, if you're not putting the pieces together, there was a movie that came out last year called Unbroken that some of you may have seen that tells his story. And they survived at sea for 47 days. One of his friends during that time didn't quite make it. But Zamperini and another companion made it by, by collecting just enough rainwater to survive and, and would you believe it, by catching seabirds that landed on the raft and eating them. I'm sure that was a, a lovely experience. But, but they survived. But, but then you can imagine the, the, the impact on the will and their morale when they came ashore only to be immediately captured by Japanese soldiers. And he went straight into a POW camp and remained there for the rest of the events of the war. 
And as he was in that time, he later reflected on it and reflected on the daily brutality, the daily torture, the daily forced labor, the constant malnutrition, the freezing temperatures. It was, it was a place that was designed to destroy even a slither of hope. And he reflected on those that didn't make it through that experience. And his thought was that as soon as an individual lost something to live for, whether it was the hope of seeing a wife again or returning to their home that one day the war would end, when that hope was gone, sure enough, they'd lose their lives. They'd give in to sickness. They couldn't handle the labor and they'd be executed. But he said when hope left a man's heart, it wouldn't be long until his life was over as well. But Zamperini, he survived, and the war came to an end in 1945, and he came home. And he says this, uh, this famous quote as he thinks about that experience and what it meant to come home. And he says this, reflecting on his time. He says, no matter the circumstance, a part of you still believes you can fight and survive no matter what your mind knows, the reality of the situation you're in. It's not so strange. Where there's still life, there's still hope. When there's still life, there's still hope. And for him, that hope at that point was centered around just the, the thought of seeing his wife again. And that kept him through the darkest moments. And we hear a story like that and know of other stories like that, and we see that hope truly is the difference between life and death, that when we're faced with the darkest realities of life, if there's a light of hope, no matter what the valley looks like, we can get through it. We can get through it. In Genesis 22, we hear what, what I see as one of the, the darkest moments in, in Scripture. At least it starts out that way. And Abraham is called by God to do something truly unthinkable. And if you, if you don't know the story of Abraham, he was a, a man chosen by God to be the start of a great nation, the start of the nation of Israel, that he was promised that through him, all people would be blessed, ultimately in the giving of Jesus Christ, but that through his children and his children's children, the whole world would be blessed. But there was a problem. Abraham was kind of old. His wife was too, and they didn't have any kids. But he held on to that promise until finally, after years and years of waiting, his wife gives birth to a little boy that they name Isaac. And the little boy grows up to become a child. And in this moment, the story begins where God calls Abraham to offer his own son as a sacrifice. I tell you what, I read this story for the first time after, after having my own son just recently and you read it very differently. For any parents that are here, I know you, you hear this story very differently as well. And, and, I, and I invite you to put yourself in the position of Abraham and, and experience the complete devastation, the complete breaking of, of everything that you know and believe about who God is, that, that this child was actually a promise from God. And now God's saying it has to come to an end. And Abraham finds himself in this truly dark moment. And here's how it plays out in verse 1 of chapter 22. So sometime later, God tested Abraham. And he said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take, and listen to this language, take your son, your only son, 
whom you love. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? That language of what we read in the New Testament of God and how he speaks of his son. Take Isaac and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. And Abraham hears this command. And he's like, this can't be. This can't be. God, this can't be a valley that I have to walk through. God, this can't be a reality for my life. This can't be the reality and the ending point for my son. And you can imagine the, 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 the brokenness in his heart in that moment. But Abraham obeys. He gets everything ready and he begins to journey to the, to the place where he'd make this sacrifice before God. He brings Isaac with him. And along the way... In verse 7, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied, the fire and wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Where is the lamb for the sacrifice? Isaac was obviously old enough to understand what the sacrifice was. He'd done it before with his father. And he says, where is the lamb? Where is the lamb, Dad? And then I love verse 8, and you could read this a couple of different ways, but, but here's how I see it. Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. And I see this as Abraham, sure, being obedient to what he believes God is calling him to, but he's holding on to this hope that God is going to provide an alternative, that God is going to provide a solution, that, that even though everything about his understanding of who God is is being challenged, that he's wrestling with it, that he thinks it can't possibly be, he goes forward and he says, God has to provide a solution. God will provide a solution. And he holds on to hope even as he takes step after step towards the mountain where he would take the life of his son. He says, God, you have to provide the solution. God, you have to provide an alternative. And Abraham and Isaac eventually arrive at the place. And Abraham, lost in his emotion as you imagine he would be as a father, he actually, he ties his son up. He binds him ready to do this thing that he still can't begin to reconcile in his mind. He takes out the knife and then finally, finally in that moment, God speaks up and in verse 12 it says this, Do not lay a hand on the boy. Do not do anything to him at all. Now I know that you fear God because you've not withheld from me your son, your only son. Again, take note of the language that God uses. Abraham looked up and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the place, the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. Now this is an incredible story. And you could read it in one sense and say this is a story of Abraham's obedience to the call of God in his life. This is a story of God's redemptive provision specific to Abraham's life and the life of his son Isaac. But what's actually unfolding here is a bigger picture of the entire story of God's Word. It's a bigger picture of the provision of God in all of our lives. That when Isaac asks the question, where is the Lamb? 
that we need for the sacrifice. Abraham says God will provide. And God has provided for each one of us in the giving of his son, Jesus. His only son. His son whom he loved. Who he valued. He gave on behalf of each one of us. And that's the central message of hope that we focus on at Christmas. That it came in the form of a baby in a manger in a stable in Bethlehem. That God provided for each one of us. The sacrifice that we needed to make on behalf of our brokenness, God made on our behalf through the giving of his son. And we see in this story a picture of the hope that is provided. It's almost like a prophetic narrative pointing towards the central message of God's word that we have hope everlasting in the name of Jesus that we don't have to lay something down of ourselves. We don't have to earn anything. We don't have to to do anything because it's been provided. God has provided the lamb and his name is Jesus Christ. And that's the hope that we take hold of. So Louis Samperini, his story continues. He goes back home to the United States, goes back stateside. I love that expression. We, we can't really use that here in WA, can we? Come back stateside from Melbourne, everyone's like, what? But I love he, he comes home and he finally sees his wife. Now remember, the, the picture of his wife was the hope that sustained him through some of the worst beatings, through some of the worst moments in his time in the prisoner of war camps. And now he's home, he's with his wife. Can you imagine what that would be like coming out of an experience and coming into the arms of your loved one? He experiences that. Imagine that sense of hope being fulfilled as he took his wife in his arms for the first time. But tragically, the experiences that he went through left a mark on his heart and on his soul. He fell into depression, he had nightmares, and he turned to alcohol to self-medicate. He became an alcoholic. And over time, he began to lose that hope that had sustained him. He began to lose his relationship with his wife. He began to lose everything that he was so hopeful that he could come back to. Until one day, some of Zamperini's friends got around him together with his wife and they invited him to a tent meeting. And at that meeting, there was a particular young preacher named Billy Graham who was giving the word of Jesus Christ and the hope of Jesus Christ and the reality that God has provided for our brokenness. And Zamperini responds to the message of the gospel. And here's how he talks about it. He says, I asked Christ into my heart, then I waited. And then true to his promise, he came into my heart and my life. The moment was more than remarkable. It was the most realistic experience I'd ever had. I'm not sure what I expected. Perhaps my life or my sins or a great great white light would flash before my eyes. Perhaps I'd feel a shock like being hit by a bolt of lightning. Instead, I, I felt no tremendous sensation, just a weightlessness and an enveloping calm that let me know that Christ had come into my heart. You know what he's describing? The moment when the hope of Jesus fills his heart. The moment when the hope of the gospel makes sense to him for the first time, where he takes hold of it and says, Jesus, be a part of my life. And then just this weightlessness, this calm, 
No tremendous sensation or dramatic event, just a calm, a hope in his saviour, Jesus. You know, Louis Samperini, he, he later became a Christian evangelist and took that same hope to so many people. And eventually in time, he went back to Japan and he found some of the men still alive that were his captors, men that had beaten him, taken the lives of his friends. And with the hope of the gospel in his heart, he forgave them. He said, I want you to know that I forgive you for all those years ago. And here's why. Because I know that Jesus has forgiven me. And I want you to know the same hope of Jesus. And several of them came to Christ. Several of them came to Christ as they were blown away by the incredible hope that comes only from the gospel in this man's life. Hope in Christ makes a difference. Hope in Christ is powerful. Hope in Christ transforms. Hope in Christ will do something to your life that hope in anything else cannot. We think of Zamperini's story. He had hope in seeing his wife again, but that wasn't enough. When he found hope in Jesus, he truly discovered who he was. You know, over the past, the past week, uh, a wonderful lady named Avril Midgley, part of our, our church congregation and community here, uh, came to the end of a, a long battle with cancer, and, uh, and, and she's with Jesus. She's with her Savior. But I had the, the real privilege of spending some time with Avril over, over the last couple of months. And the, the first time I went to, to visit her, I was blown away by the joy that she carried, even in the reality that she was facing. She, she sat in her bed and she asked questions about my family, asked how my son was going, asked how I was enjoying church. Everything was, was about me even in that moment. And she brought a tremendous encouragement to my life and, and just warmth and joy came out of her in every way. And then a little bit, a little bit later on, I, I had a call from Trevor, her husband, and he's just telling me that things had taken a bad turn. And so I went in again to, to spend time and, and to see Avril. And this time I went and she, she tragically was in, she was in a lot of pain. And as she woke, uh, immediately there, there was pain. And she struggled to talk even as she, she battled with that pain. And I, I sat with the family as, as they tried to talk to her, but, but she just wasn't able to speak. And then eventually we, we all gathered around Avril and we just began to pray. We just began to pray the realities of who Jesus was. We began to pray the hope that we find in Jesus. And, and as we were praying, remember she hasn't been able to speak at all up until this point, and she just faintly begins to say, thank you, Jesus. And again, thank you, Jesus. And in that moment, my soul just exploded. And, and very quickly after that point, we, we wrapped up in prayer. More of the family came, and, and I just left the family to be together. And I walked out of that room, and I started blubbering instantly. I was crying all the way out of the hospital. I got into an elevator with two young nurses who were clearly very unequipped to deal with a crying grown man. <laughs> He's crying. Talk to him. No, you talk to him. And, and I'm just crying away in the corner. It was serious. I almost started laughing in that moment. And so I just kind of... So, and, yeah, and because they, they went up and then they made a mistake and we all had to go down. So I was like, it was this long, long, long experience. It was so funny. It was awesome. And, and, and honestly, I just cried the whole way out and I cried the whole way home and got home and, and was crying as I went through the front door. 
And there's two reasons for those tears. One was obviously just carrying that weight with her of what she was experiencing and that pain. But I was just also overwhelmed with the faith that she had in Jesus. I was overwhelmed that even in that moment with the pain she was facing, with the the reality she was facing, her one thought towards God is gratitude. Her one thought towards God is, thank you, Jesus. There is a hope in my life that is bigger than any circumstance, than any reality. She knew exactly what she was walking into. Yet the cry of her heart, the faint whisper on her mouth, is thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And praise God, after... After that, they were able to manage the pain and she had a few wonderful days with her family. But now she stands with her Saviour. And all the more, she says, thank you, Jesus, for that place that's been prepared. Hope in Christ makes a difference. There is a thrill when we understand the hope that is in the name of Jesus. There is a thrill when we understand that God did not hold back his one and only son, but God gave it freely for each one of us to provide for what was missing so that we could find that same hope in Jesus. I'm going to invite the the team to, to come back. You know, this morning, more than anything else, I want you to be reminded of the hope that is in the name of Jesus. I want it to rise up in your soul and in your spirit and be on the forefront of your heart that, yes, Jesus, you have provided for me. You are my redeemer. There is a thrill within me that says no matter what I face, I face it with the provision of Christ. No matter what reality I walk through, I walk through it in the hope and in the name of Jesus. No matter what the circumstance I face, I face it with a hope that is eternal, everlasting, and without end. So I can say, thank you, Jesus. No matter what I face, I can say, thank you, Jesus, because of what you have done. Can I invite you to stand with me? We're going to sing a song of declaration of who Jesus is. But just before we do that, I want to invite you to pray with me. And I want to pray that that hope that is in your heart would rise to the surface of your soul, fill you with strength, it would invigorate you, the reality of Jesus in your life. But maybe you're here tonight and you're in a moment like Louis Samperini was going to hear Billy Graham preach and you want to invite Jesus into your life. I want to give you an opportunity to do that this morning as well. And in a few moments time after the service, there's going to be a team of, uh, of people ready here to pray. And I invite you, if you make a decision in this moment to say yes to Jesus, come, come down here after the service. I'm going to be there. Some other people will be there. And they'd love to lead you through that prayer. They'd love to lead you through that prayer and stay in contact with you. But let me pray now. And if that's you making a decision for the first time, please come and and let us pray for you in person after the service. Let me pray. Jesus, there is hope in your name. Lord, I pray that in this moment that would rise up within each one of us, Lord. Lord God, that, that we would remember what you have done. 
with fresh eyes, with a fresh soul, with a fresh heart. Lord God, I pray for each person here. Your Holy Spirit right now, your presence here in this moment would just fill our hearts overflowing with the knowledge of who you are and what you've done. And God, I pray for anyone here in this moment that wants to say yes to you for the first time. Lord, I pray that in this moment, they could welcome you into their life. They could just say a quiet prayer. Jesus, I want you to be a part of my life. I want to know the hope that is in your name. And Jesus, I pray that you would show up in their lives right now. Holy Spirit, Jesus, that your salvation, your hope would be known in their life right now, that there would be that sense of peace. No matter what they've been through, there'd be that sense of hope in the awesome name of Jesus. Lord God, I pray that that as we lift up your name, as we worship you, God, that that hope would rise, that that hope would build. And God, everything about us would be found in you. We praise you, God. Come on, let's worship him together.